Welcome to Hollywood Ungagged, Season 6, Episode 4. I'm your host, Neil Anderson, broadcasting from the neglected north of Glasgow. And the others I have with me today are one, Val Wandron. Hello. And Brian Finlay. Hello, hello. Hello. So how are both of you doing? Good. Uh -huh. Good. It's been a few weeks since I've been on been on the podcast. A busy little stretch, and then I had a nice mm -hmm. holiday. So, oh, right. I'm good. Where did you go? I was in the in Spain in the Alicante province. Doing lots of walking, reading, uh -huh. relaxing. It was Excellent. very very lovely. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I've just been quite quiet. We walked down Pollock Park today to see if the leaves are changing yet. Definitely feels very autumnal. I have to say. Mm -hmm. It's nippy. Yeah, it is. Oh, There's a wee storm on its way, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, the right. tail end of one from America, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I suppose it is kind of halfway through September, isn't it? So, yeah. Not Already. Surprising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, time moves on, doesn't it? Absolutely. Right. So, we have um, uh, some, well, I think some interesting topics to, to discuss. Uh, today, tonight, and uh, I think we should uh, get ungagged. Hey. Right, our first topic. This is the 18th of September that we are recording on. And the 18th of September is the anniversary of the 2014 Scottish Independence Referendum. So, some views on that, but to start it off, Alms' user is to seek independence negotiations with the UK government if the SNP wins the majority of MPs in Scotland in the next general election. He has put his name to a motion to be put forward to the SNP party conference in October. Do you think that is... Uh, a feasible plan? You think it would work? And how? I don't know this. I've tried to look, but I can't find. What is the difference between this and the de facto referendums that have been mentioned before? Brian, you're probably the that, yeah. the one most up in that. I would I would suspect. Do you know what the difference is? Yeah, but the, I think what Nicola Sturgeon's plan was was to basically hold de facto referendum. So it was going to be the number of votes was 50 plus one mm. uh, for the SNP. So right. it's, it was more like if I don't know, the SNP were to get 50% of the vote plus one, that they would use that as a, as a mandate um, to to say, you know, Scotland has has uh, supported uh, independence uh, and therefore start the negotiations for an independent country. Uh, you know, with whatever government would win that general election, I think we'd definitely be looking at that to be a Keir Starmer-led uh, Labour government. I think it's mm. safe to assume that. Uh, we don't know what the makeup of the government would be. Um, this change uh, with Hamza Youssef is a little bit more... I don't know, feasible perhaps. I think the SNP trying to achieve 50% at a general election was was a tall order. Um, but to win the majority of seats seems more achievable. Um, with this motion, I think it'll be interesting to see what debates come out of the SNP conference uh, with this as a starting point for the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I just believe that this would be dismissed out of hand with regardless to what any party uh, wins uh, the UK-wide general election, even though it should not be. Um, I'm not convinced that this would lead to anything, uh, any particular change, to be honest. I would tend to agree with you in that respect. I'm not even 100% sure that it's expected that it would do. Um, I mean, I think really only a referendum's going to fairly represent us in terms of actual votes counted. It was never really going to, it was, I think it would have been disastrous to uh, go ahead on the premise we might get 50% of SNP votes. But um, and I know Humza Yusuf, like most of us, really just wants to build support and a referendum will happen. It has to happen. But anyway, this proposal in the moment, at the moment, it's a bit of me saying, you know, this emphasis on seats. Uh, in one respect, it carries all the flaws of the first-past-the-post system. Indeed. Uh, it's also, you'd have to say, well, if it's good enough for the Tories, on what, about 25% of them, you know, uh, but they're focused on undemocratic. Um, but I would agree with Brian that, I mean, it's maybe it, it might shift us, move us along. It might sharpen minds again as to the democratic democratic deficit, a bit like when we lost the Supreme Court thing. But there is no way we are going to be independent a few days or weeks or months after the next general election on that premise. I wouldn't think so. I think uh, one thing for me is, is is doing at least a bit of satisfying his critics because there's lots yeah. of uh, people going, oh, what's he doing to put the, the, the nationalist cause forward and independence for Scotland? He's not doing anything. He's not taking it forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, on the other side, you get uh, sort of unionists complaining that he's focusing too much on independence. <laughs> uh, but... How do you see the differences between what we've got now for a, a movement for at least a referendum uh, for independence as opposed to what it was like, well, pre this date, uh, nine years ago in the build-up to, to the referendum then? What what kind of differences have you? would you say were the, the biggest? I think I think it's weird to even compare ourselves to where we were in 2014. I think um, it's almost complete. The landscape's completely unrecognisable um, from where we were. I know that you know when the 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 sort of the campaign towards the independence referendum in 2014. You know, it's quoted to be around 28 percent, 29 percent of uh, support for for independence uh, amongst uh, when it was being polled. Uh, uh, you know, with the with the electorate. But where we're at now is we're really starting to get to the point where it's exhausting a lot of the um, you know, the instruments that we have to to get to a referendum, um, and just the intransigence of 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 particularly the Conservative government. I can't see it being any better with the Labour government. I think when Hamza Yusuf made this announcement, it was dismissed out of hand uh, by Rachel Reeves, mm -hmm. um, the, the the Shadow Chancellor, um, by UK Labour. So we're in a completely different place now because. We've just got the, this this power block at Westminster, the two major parties just saying, no, 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 it's not going to happen. And I think what really the, the SNP needs to try and get out of, of these predominantly unionist parties is to get well, what would be the agreement for yes. And they're not willing to have these discussions at all, but that seems to be what we need to try and we need to try and set out. At the moment, I, I, I really can't see... Um, 
how we're going to achieve that referendum uh, you mm-hmm. know the gold standard which is always yeah. which is always which is always quoted and absolutely i think most people will agree that's what we need to do if it was me personally and i, I voiced this before and it's been met with some some resistance from from certain quarters in the SNP is that if we're going to enter into this uh, general election Hamza Yusuf is right to set out a stall saying you know this is what we want to do we want to negotiate to have a referendum but i think there needs to be um some tactics uh, with the SNP MPs to disrupt West Minister. Um, and I think that that needs to be part of their manifesto. So if they are elected, you know, say that there's, you know, 35, 40, 45 MPs um, elected uh, to Westminster and they say we're going to start the negotiations to, to hold an independence referendum, if that is not, you know, given within a certain time period, there needs to be disruption, in my opinion. But I, I don't know what the, the kind of wider uh, thought is on that one. I could kind of see that happening under Stephen Flynn to a point. But I mean, just going back to really where are we now with, you know, referendum, um, I, I quite often sort of refer to the point during the uh, lockdown when we went up to about 58% for yes. Mm-hmm. And um, you can always tell then, you know, there's a little bit of fear in the media and the opposition and everything. And that's when they start talking about rubbish, but they do kind of, um, it enters their consciousness that there might have to be a referendum so you know they come out with stuff like oh it'll have to be over 70% or whatever um, or another what's a confirmative referendum whatever but it's kind of there I, I still think at some point if something changes I, I will have to break that 50% give or take somehow but if something does and something changes I, I can't rule it out to be honest with you I mean at some point but don't know what it's going to take that's very true. Yeah. I see um, a lot of that as, you know, chipping away at the big stone mm. as it were, and, and getting it smaller and smaller so that the possibility becomes more. It's definitely not going to happen straight after, even if SNP got all the MPs in Scotland uh, not going to There's an awful lot of the opposition uh, from before, but maybe we should be, be looking at how uh, previously, Alex Salmon got um, David Cameron to agree to the referendum uh, to be to be to be put, or maybe David Cameron was just referendum happy because he came up did Brexit after that, didn't he? Well, I think he thought we would lose it anyway, didn't he? Because is it not the case that Alex Salmon he actually wanted the third option on the, on the ballot paper? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, but was it David Cameron that wanted it to be a straight yes, no, just put it to bed, get rid of it, sort of thing? So mm-hmm. again, it was like a different country. Was, you know, that's the past. That's I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if we could even look at that helpfully. Yeah, all all the big players are no longer exist, like you know, within, within uh, mainstream politics, and and you know, because I mean, that's is it nine years ago? I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy to think that. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, looking back to that particular day, you know, the quotes that were were used was, you know, there was the one day where Scotland could decide what it wanted to do and what it wanted to be, and you know, that power was handed back mm-hmm. over to 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 Westminster. And and I think, you know, my reflection on that particular day was there was an excitement and buzz on on and within that the, the, there could be a change and our vote actually did matter the turnout was huge and uh, the engagement was huge particularly amongst you know 
people who I had never known to be engaged in politics before. And you're right, David Cameron did want to put this to bed. Um, you know, Labour thought, you know, going back to 1999, that devolution would be the end. And I think that what politicians need to to kind of realise that there is no end game. You know, even if Scotland votes yes tomorrow, it's not the end of mm-hmm. the, the democratic process and, and you know, what con- the country wants to be. And I think what the kind of the, the kind of opposition that will be thrown at the SNP by focusing on, you know, independence, things like that will be saying, oh, you know, all this, you know, the, the important issues around the cost of living and things like that. But I think what the SNP needs to do more is um, package that argument uh, and say that this is why we need to have these discussions. These are the types of things that we would want to do, that we could do, that we can't do now. Yeah. Uh, the examples that are building up as well, you look at the GRA bill, blocked you know the drs you know is effectively oh you can do it but you can't include glass so it doesn't make it as feasible as what it was before it needs to be a really really compelling uh, democratic case but also feed into uh, the the real issues that are impacting on people on the sharp end and it's becoming more and more prevalent across working class communities um that you know this that the status quo is not sustainable um and perhaps you know repackaging this a little bit clearer um and you know a sort of more progressive um case for independence um and how that we could <clears throat> really challenge the the issues that we face today yeah i, I mean i think to be fair as well uh, this whole thing the whole rhetoric about you know, you mostly the Tories, if you like, you know, you're obsessed within this obsession with independence. And I think the answer always has to be, hell yes, we are. It's the only way to really, you know, get the deal with how the way the only way to deal with the urgent issues at stake. And I think Humza Yusuf is better at that. I think he's less careful about that. He's made it fairly clear that that's what we want. Um jury's out and how truly um progressive he is i don't know but you know he, he seems to be doing well but yeah we just need to keep hammering away at that yeah we scottish government supports independence that's what we do yeah i, I it's just that process of of keeping going and uh, the main just so anecdotally difference between so if there was a referendum next week or uh, and last time i was um out on a wee yes stall uh, just down the corner from me on a, on a cross and there was kind of like three of us and and so on and then it was outside the polling station as well for a lot of the time and didn't have these huge rallies that have developed over that length of time you know and and, and across the country you know so kind of um, that big one in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago but then the, the other ones that have been around different places as well. If there was that support for that at that time, it wasn't it wasn't focused, it wasn't actually taken out on, whereas that's built up from there. I think that that momentum that is there, that is just kind of keeping it going like that would would uh, would accelerate um if if it, well when we get a referendum we'd see a lot more of that so I think that'd be a big difference in that 
there, there's so much that people can be doing uh, at yeah. the moment and it's just about engaging uh, with people in, in, in conversations around politics because people are are angry at the moment um you know not not just in Scotland you know acro- across the rightly so right across the UK about the the kind of realities that we're living through at the moment um, and at every single policy area um you know that, that seems to be reserved to, to Westminster and by having these discussions with people who might not necessarily be hugely politically engaged might be undecided when it comes to independence it's about you know just getting people to think radically think thinking different you know you don't have to be a supporter of the SNP and or the greens or or whatever to to support independence um and it's just about these groups and parties you know providing that progressive alternative and how we could do things differently around here um and I think that that's the, the kind of work that we could be doing at the moment. But until until we have a campaign, you know, the starting gun being being you know fired and and there being a date, these polls can be done over and over and over again. And but the average score is around fifty percent. It's stagnant. It's not moving. Yeah. It might go up to fifty eight. It might go down mm-hmm. to forty two. Mm-hmm. But across the board, we're fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. And the 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 argument for having a referendum, I think, is really really clear, especially because the the you know the, the the, this is where the polling is suggesting that things are but until we have a stall set out from both sides um, we won't really have a clear view on, on where the country is and I think that that's particularly what Labour and, and the Conservatives are really really quite concerned about because I wouldn't want to have to defend the UK state at the moment um, in any any form of a campaign um, so I think it's just delay tactics that we're getting from from a lot of these parties, but until we have that that sort of campaign in the bag, I think it will we'll just continue to have these polling sitting, you know, yeah. this sort of fifty fifty, yeah. um, and then it becomes background noise. It doesn't become this headline grabbing stuff that mm-hmm. we were getting during the pandemic that you're saying because a lot of of that I believe was on the back of Nicola Sturgeon being seen as a much better communicator, you know, uh, you know, a much more caring approach during COVID. Um, and, and that's no longer the case. Nicola Sturgeon is no longer First Minister. And I think we'll continue to see how Hamza Yousaf gets on as we head towards budget and, and things like that. That's mm-hmm. when we'll really start to see um, what this, this you know, SNP Green uh, government is, is operating like. So I think... Um, much more to be set out. I think that the SNP could be doing more foundation setting uh, and showing people how we could radically do politics different, you know, by saying we're going to do this, uh, you know, with this particular policy area. If we had independence, we could do this, this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just about showing people how we can do things differently, much more than what we are just now. And yet, you know, one of the other things, I mean, just thinking about it, pinning it to the actual independence campaign referendum was about the people wasn't it and um, another myth is that it was like a divisive independence referendum it wasn't divisive not among the people I don't know about you guys but I haven't fallen out with a single person over it Uh, I mean most people are decent and as you say Brian you know they're they're fed up with what's going on around this is actually a good climate this is good soil at the moment Um, maybe not necessarily for chapping doors what you're going to say but um, some people do it but um, just talking to people and talking to your friends your family and identifying the soft yesers the the ones that kind of um, make the polls go from you know 48 to 52 or whatever those those ones in the middle so just talking starting to just gently talk and listen listen's important Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
very much so. Next topic then, and it's kind of two topics in, in one area, talking about Scotland's population. And the recently released uh, figures for the 2022 census show a record high of population numbers in Scotland of, let me just check here, we've got 5,436,600. And that is a record high uh, in population. But um, it's the growth rate is smaller than it was between the last uh, census, which is 2001 and uh, 2011. And of course, this census should have been 2021, but it was delayed because of of, uh, of the pandemic, just for information. So the growth rate this time was 2.7% and previously was 46 And they also say that without migration, population um, would have been down by about 50,000 since 2011, which will lead us into the, the next part of this figures on the on people in Scotland's view on migration. But just on statistics again, um, actually the population in England and Wales was up by 6.3% and Northern, Ly Northern Ireland by 5.1%. And the highs and lows in Scotland were Midlothian was up by 16.1%, mm -hmm. but the Western Isles were down by 55 uh, so further depopulation of the 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 islands by the look mm. of it there, and briefly mention the stats from the next one survey it was brought out last month, and it says that Scots are broadly comfortable with migration, with three fifths believing it has a positive impact in the country, and uh, two fifths, roughly thirty eight percent, want to see migration increased. 12% of them are increased by a lot and 26% by a little. And this one I, I really like uh, says 47% of those in the Glasgow Scottish Parliament region uh, want to see migration increased with 23% wanting increased by a lot. And 65% of overall disagreed with the sentiment that migrants take jobs away from Scottish workers. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those results in there are really great um, because we hear so much in our mainstream media uh, about problems with, with migrants. And UK Tory government, their point five is to stop the small boats. And I mean, that's one case in particular, but for me, that clouds the whole thing about how people how people feel about migration and that they blame it all on these people who are illegally coming here and they're, they're, it's, it's the cause for all the problems that they're having. Um, but it would look like in general, uh, fortunately, Scots folk are not being taken in so much uh, by that, which is really good news. So... Do you think we have room for, for other people if we've already got almost five and a half million people in the country? Oh, I think we'll squeeze a few more in. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't kind of go through here without there's some in, some out, Brexit, you know, we're losing people. Um, 
I'm going at a very flippant point here about the West, the, the Isles, um, which about the ferries and the con <laughs> I think the media are destroying our tourist industry, constantly going on about ferries. But anyway, that's, as I say, that's a, something else. But um, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great figure. I was having a look at a wee bit drowned by the statistics, but um, this one here there was a few. Uh, there was quite a few, but I I was looking at this. Um, at 76% say, you know, that's great because it helps to fill jobs where it's hard to find workers. And I think, well, you know, you don't want migration just to be seen as a, a commodity for filling crap jobs. That's not where it's about. But there's also 60% saying it enriches Scottish cultural life as well. So it's it's quite a lot. It's a lot more than that. And um Having had a, a day at Kenmuir Street as well, you know, just that whole attitude of and maybe the kind of younger demographic as well. It's just like there's no question about it. Um, you know, this is one community. We you know, we support people and you could see we just need our own policies. This is like coming through all of this loud and clear. We need our own policies. Um we don't our own police hadn't a clue what to do with what was going on there. It's just completely what it's see with everything um, until we get our own policies, our own immigration policies mm. here, uh, and we can do something really useful with with them as well, I think. I think, definitely, as you're saying, I, I'm a school teacher, and uh, the the difference in young folk at the moment is they're far, far more accepting of different people, whether that's to do with their ethnicity, whether it's to do with their, their sexuality, or their gender, than that I've seen uh, since I started teaching, which was a good number of years ago. And I think, just I, I get a side issue here, what we in general have got to do is try and make sure that they don't lose that, you know, going out sort of into the world after leaving school, that they still get that acceptance. Uh, of you know people who are different from them for whatever whatever means it is, uh, and I think hopefully there's that's kind of starting with those uh, figures in there. That it's I mean because it's changing culture in that, and changing culture always takes a long time. So if it's increasing wee bit by wee bit, and people's attitudes to that overall, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see that. Yeah, um, one one thing that I will be one of those numbers that's increased because the last census I was in London, I filled it in when I lived in in London, so I'll be plus one, um, <laughs> in 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 those figures. I moved home in two thousand twelve, um, so yeah, I th I don't think there was any surprise that that you know that the numbers continue to increase. That seems to be the broad story, um, across most, um certainly in the UK anyway, that there is a, an upward trajectory. We can see it slowing down. Um, I think there's, with the timescale when this took place, there's been a huge amount of change in terms of the politics. I think Brexit has been one of them. There, there is others. Um, and I think that with some of the figures that we're starting to see, I think the Western Isles is, is a real concern. And I think that's something mm. that the Scottish Parliament needs to start addressing is, you know, could it, it's almost about trying to understand where these people are going. I think that's, you know, that's the type of thing that, you know, we can see that the numbers are not increasing, they're decreasing. Where are these people actually going? Are they going to the mainland and to the central belt in Scotland? Or are they you know, moving elsewhere? I think that that would be something that, 
that the, the Scottish Parliament absolutely needs to 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 understand where these places are, where the the depopulation has taken place, <clears throat> is where these people are actually going. Um. So yeah, but I I wasn't particularly surprised. I think you know Midlothian being one of the biggest um uptakes um was was quite interesting. I think uh, there was another Lothian. I can't remember which one it was that was number two on the list. So mm-hmm. you know people are loving the East Coast at the moment. So there you go. That's uh, interesting. <laughs> Um, but as for the attitudes um, survey, I think this was the first one that was done in quite a long time. Um, and there is some significant differences in attitudes. Um, it's really hard to try and encompass why that is in such a, a snap poll. But I think what the kind of concluding thoughts uh, from, from some of the analytics on this was this should be the starting point for more research to be done to you know to, to understand these changes over time when new uh, news stories break and and as <clears throat> the home office policies change and things like that i think it would be really interesting to start collecting this data a lot more um incrementally i think would be quite interesting um the one of the strange things um like some of the, the phrasing of the points that were put forward, I think there was ones about, do you think migrants is a burden on welfare services and things like that, which just kind of shows us a really sad reality of where um, UK politics is, that we need to even ask these types of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolutely, Val, I just want to pick up on what you said there about the, you know, migration, depending on what threads of migration you want to talk about, is sort of, pitched at let's have people come over here and do the crap jobs that nobody else mm. wants to do and this is one of my biggest biggest frustrations mm. i research employment i research hospitality um and this is very much where you know it's one of these crap jobs that 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 we we, we tend to talk about and there has been a huge impact because of brexit because of the movement of, of people mm. from from europe and my argument to that is well let's just not make them crap jobs and just pay them yeah. more and give people really good um working conditions and and you know uh, particularly things like social care um where you know it could be such a rewarding um career uh, and they could all the issues that we've got we could easily fix um, and I always find I think the highest reason why people support migration was to fill jobs so that's still filtering down where people are like yeah but we need people to do this job and you're like mm, 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 that's not not a reason and um, we should just want to have people come in here because they want to come here and we should be supporting people to come here with all the different threads of, of migration that we actually have um but all in all most of the, the outcomes were positive which is which is great to see but i think for me it's more i'm very reluctant to take one poll and, and sort of run with it but mm. i would absolutely love to see more i think these sort of attitude to pollings i would i'd love to see more of them in general and um, there was a really good um and i can't even remember what it was before the pandemic and i read it i think it was open democracy that done some comparison of historical british attitudes um surveys and, and compared them to different places within the UK. And broadly, Scotland was economically and and and, and other policies quite aligned with, with the whole of the UK, mm. apart from the attitudes towards the monarchy and the British Empire. So that's that's quite interesting. That's one of the biggest points where they used to deviate more from. But and, and I would love to see more of, of this type of, of attitude surveys. And, um, you know, these can be used as tools to, to push governments to do more progressive and inclusive things i I believe it's been said migration policy scotland said the survey is the first step 
and it's worked to be a more yeah. robust evidence. So hopefully, and then looking at different um, strains of migration as well. Um, right. actually, sorry, go ahead. So, sorry, uh, I was just going to say, Brian, just for clarification, <clears throat> you were saying that the attitudes towards the monarchy and uh, was different in Scotland. Which way was it different from the rest of the UK? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know what to think. <laughs> no, it's it's actually generally thinks of, um, and it, I mean it's not a huge significant difference in the rest of the UK, but there is differences. Oh. It was mostly attitudes towards the British Empire, monarchy, mm. and establishments like that, House of Lords, all that kind of stuff. There tends to be more of a negative view of mm. of these institutions in Scotland than what there is, for example, uh, in comparison with yeah. with with England, um, which I think is really interesting. But another thing I want to say on that is we obviously the SNP in general, particularly uh, since Nicola Sturgeon um, was was first minister, has always argued positively. For migration mm -hmm. and that's been the sort of mainstream position in Scotland's politics in general uh, for quite some time and I think that starts to filter in I think it takes a while but mm -hmm. the when you have your your main politicians so you know generally uh, Scottish Labour, SNP, Greens are very very positive, Liberal Democrats as well yeah. are very positive towards uh, migration so they take up most of the, of the seats in the Scottish Parliament get most of the airtime obviously the Tories you know is not but um, when you have that sort of political environment I think that eventually starts to to, to, to kind of feed into the population. So that could yeah. potentially be one of the reasons as to why. I had a look at, um, well, my, the counter view, Migration Watch Scotland. Now the clue is in the name there. Yeah? Um, mm -hmm. Clearly they are more concerned about non-white migrants. And their answer to any criticism about workforce is that uh, immigrants get older too, you know, and get in the way of employment schemes for the young Scots. The only solution, wait for it, is to raise the retirement age. So, it, I mean, we don't have anything particularly um, attractive out there as a counter to what we've been seeing anyway. Basically, far-right stuff is pretty horrendous. Um, but I was looking at as well about the UK, more kind of recent UK surveys, and that surprised me because um, attitudes in general seem to be going counter to the conservative policies. It's almost like a backlash to Brexit, a backlash to Rwanda, you know, and the whole small boats thing. People are definitely more uh, accepting. Uh, another one, though, was, you know, Brian, going back to um, the commodity thing. Um, now, they took, what was it? 68% of the UK public think we should either let anyone come to or who wants to or let them come as long as there are jobs available. Um, so it's back to the whole thing about jobs as well. Um, but there's still a bit of emphasis on just adding generally to the culture. So I think we're kind of going, the people are going in the right direction while the government is just, yeah, it's way out of step. It's is ultimately desperation, I think, from from the UK government because they're trying to drum up their base to to perhaps um, prevent the Labour Party having a majority at the next general election. I think that's really what they're trying to do, and I mean they're doing it terribly. Um, but you know this is it, it's ultimately the Tories try to bang the drums, um, you know, to 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 mobilise their base to come to come and support them. And unfortunately, we've seen perhaps similar tactics um, from Labour by not really committing to to anything that's 
particularly more inclusive um, when it comes to, to migration. Um, but in general, I, I, it's weird, right? Because if you watch the, you know, the, the mainstream media and you see the sort of discussions that's going on and then you have conversations out in the community, they don't align. It's mm -hmm. weird. And, mm -hmm. and you know, people might say, oh, but we need to have jobs for people to come here and things like that. And, and you know, you can, that that's, you know, perhaps how people, you know, want to, to operate and have these decisions. There'll be people that don't want migration at all. And there'll be people that, that really want to, to, to have an open door and, and supportive policies for people, which is pretty much where I am. Um, but the, this it just seems almost like alien conversations that happen on the news night and yeah. on question time and, and things like that and it's not representative so it's good to see that 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 um you know the sort of surveys that you've been looking at is not as striking as we might have expected with the, the current political environment well, but well two last little figures then on the this is the uk wide one yes so 56 percent of britons believed refugees make a positive contribution that's pretty mm -hmm. damn good uk wide uh, and then um more than half, 54% in the UK felt that refugee, refugees should be allowed to stay compared to 40% globally. So it's interesting to see the UK up, way up mm. in some respects, even if it is the people, not the government. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, yeah. they, they, they don't sort of mention the race or the ethnicity thing when they're talking about it. What people complain about is, you know, a burden on the welfare state. You know, they'll be taking uh, benefits from that and they'll be using the skills, they'll be using the National Health Service. How are we going to pay for that? We can't pay for that. And, of course, the myth that some people still have that any kind of migrant who isn't working or a refugee or somebody who's got their, uh, their asylum is, you know, given a nice house or a nice flat and a big telly and some, there's some people out there that still believe that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And and we can see firsthand the, how these people are being treated. We can see firsthand, the, you know, being, being stuck in a hotel for, for, for 12, for mm. 24 months. I mean, not having any cooking facilities and being able to set up a life for themselves. They're mm. not allowed to work. It just, it mm. makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, And still people think that they're treated, treated, you know. They're, st they're staying in a four-star hotel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, like something you know six to six to a room and uh, and everything else yeah absolutely horrendous but one other thing that i did want to touch on with it with these with these with these stats is the the, the shift towards um an aging population and that's something that is is not surprising it's been happening for quite some time mm. um and that needs to be taken on board by not only by the UK government but the Scottish government and when it comes to planning um, particularly services around pensions, social care all these different things And uh, because at the moment these things are not in a good place as, as, as to where they are um, and it's a, it's a, it is a real concern of mine um, as we head you know, 20, 30, 40 years into the future where these um, services are going to be with the current uh, makeup that we have mm. uh, within the population. So I, I urge um, all politicians of all political parties to take heed in that because we, because a lot of political parties tend to run in this five-year cycle. They, they don't plan ahead um, and then we'll end up in, in some dire situation in 30 mm. years' time. So please, you know, the, the alarm bell is there. Please start mm. doing something about it. <laughs> No. Good, good point, Brian. They're thinking about their, their term, and, their current term. Uh, yeah. And, and part of 
part of that, which certainly I've heard uh, a good number of times, is uh, the current sort of, and previous cost of living. You know, that there are young people who are making the decision not to have children or to only have one child or, you know, have fewer than they would have done because they can't afford it. I mean, things are so <laughs> skewed from what they were uh, years ago. Um, my uh, mother was part of a family of four, right? And they lived uh, in the kind of basement room and kitchen in what is now Woodside. But um, my grandmother didn't work, but my grandfather did, right? And he didn't have fancy jobs or anything, but he went out and he could earn enough money to look after and feed a family of four yeah. and his wife. Right, because that's the way. Whatever the, the cost of rent, the cost of food, etc., was at that time. You can't do that now. There's not a family that could have four children, uh, one of the the, the 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 parents staying at home and looking after the children, and the other one working, unless they've got some highfalutin, really, you know, CEO of whatever. But ordinary people can't do that. Because the, the, the wages that one person gets paid now, what it is to be spent on is skewed so much that it's not feasible. Yeah. And there's no there is no security either with uh, with, with with housing, mm-hmm. um, yeah. jobs, um, the erratic um, you know mm-hmm. scheduling of work and and the, I mean yeah. I mean the most current sort of um, figures we've got on on wages is that real terms people have been paid what they were in two thousand and eight. You know, and, and that's which is horrendous, yeah, yeah. and and really just exposes austerity, neoliberalism, yeah. all these different things. And there is absolutely no way that that I, I don't have children. I don't particularly want children, but you know, if I did, was that was that way inclined? There is absolutely no way that I would be able to afford to have children. It's just completely out of the question. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I can see where people are coming from. Well, and also, I mean, the whole housing, just kind of going along with your story there about your family, um, Neil, I mean, the next, my my family were very similar. Um, The next thing they did was move into a brand new council house, you know, a lovely three, four apartment council house, and they got another one, a bigger one. They just can't do that now, you know, as you're saying, Brian, it's just like no security. And and the cost of renting or buying is just, Far bigger than it was before as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, my 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 dad is one of nine, um, wow. <laughs> and they lived in uh, social housing as well. So uh-huh. you know that can show you. I mean, that was a tight squeeze anyway with the, the maximum capacity of social housing, mm-hmm. um, and obviously my gran couldn't work because she was always pregnant. So um, you know, and and my granddad was a glazier, so he you know he was a, a self employed person, but he, they they managed to survive on. Mm him being a glazier and 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 whatnot so the the complete makeup i mean there's a lot of things which are a lot cheaper now it's cheaper for consumer goods clothing all these different things because of capitalism and the way that the, yeah. the economy set up but actually it's the precarity and the cost of living which is just massively outstripped to where where they used to be um and, and the welfare services have been completely diminished um so, you know in that time so it's uh it's just it's just not feasible and i understand why people are not having kids but, but yeah, apart yeah. from my slight caveat that I don't want any, so you know. <laughs> oh, but there's um, there are always people that didn't want to have uh, their own children in the first place. But there are people that 
they do that are going, I can't afford to do this. But that's what the Tories would tell you anyway. You know, if you can't afford them, don't have them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, shall we move on? Yep. And now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote, Hollywood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Okay, so our third topic is to do with, I don't know how to describe them politely, uh, but Fergus Ewing, SMP, currently SMP anyway, MSP, he has, uh, there's various things that he's actually down for, but the most highlighted one at the moment is he voted against uh, Scottish Green Party Minister Lorna Slater in an old confidence vote in Parliament that was tabled uh, by the Tories to do with the deposit return scheme and its supposed uh, failure. But... Um, he has done lots of other things. He's criticised the government over the, the Gender Recognition uh, Reform Act, the highly protected marine areas, um, attacked ministers for the lack of progression and duelling of the A9. And he describes the Scottish Greens, which won't come into his disciplinary hearing, but um, as extremists. And wine bar revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> actually... Notice at one point as well, he was going to have a disciplinary uh, a, a wee while ago, but his his mother, uh, Winnie Ewing, uh, if anybody doesn't know, was a big uh, person in the, in the, the Scottish uh, nationalist movement. Uh, she died, so that was it was put off at that time. But now he's coming up for it again. Um, so, kind of two things on that. What what do you have any opinions on Fergus? And whether he should still be in a party that he seems uh, very much, I know the SNP is a broad church, but he does seem a bit misaligned with most of them. And just in in general, how do you think the the agreement, the Butte House agreement uh, between uh, SNP and Scottish Greens is, is working? Val? Well, um, do I think first of all, first thing I'd want to say about Fergus is that he's basically opposition, isn't he? He's an opposition mm-hmm. politician. Uh, he's a tartan Tory. Uh, he's out of the loop. Um, so he kind of um, he's enjoying the current round of culture wars. He's everything really that is just holding us back. I would say, um, and I'm not holding myself back when I say this. Um, yeah, he'd rather short. I think did he vote with the Tories on the short-term licensing scheme? I think. He yes, did, yes, uh, there was yeah. that as well. Yep. Yes, yeah. Um, 
So no, I I I don't. I think it's only going to be a suspension of the whip for about a week or something, ah. isn't it? Oh. Uh, it's really neither here nor there. But yeah, well, I suppose it's a message. Uh, it also opens up questions. Maybe that's a whole other topic about what should Humes or anybody else do with certain other MPs in the party who are invested in right-wing policies and culture wars and litigation. We shall not be named, etc. But anyway, that's a, well, maybe it's part of the same story. Um, do do we think the Butte House agreement is working? Right, I couldn't go through policy by policy, but I would say that um, it's good for the more progressive wing of Scottish politics, and on the whole, and ninety five percent of the SNP membership at the time wanted it. Um, and, but then again, so bearing in mind that Kate Forbes and Ash Reagan made it clear they wouldn't be afraid of running government uh, without the Greens on board. So although it's been clearly restated as wanted now, it's fragile given how close the contest was. So it's not something we can take for, for granted. Um, you know, I mean, the Greens, as we know, are sort of subject to populist attacks at the moment from, from all over. Uh, I, heard, did, I don't know if you heard Mary McCallum speaking on the radio this morning. She's the uh, cabinet's, SNP cabinet secretary for Net Zero and Just Transition. And she was answering Radio Scotland accusations about the Greens wanting to pass on costs of renewables to poorer families. Uh, and she quite rightly said, you know, yeah, well, you know, there's a trend of trying to make the Greens look elitist. And that's about, that's, that's just something else. They're trying to squeeze them into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, just to, to diss them completely. So, yeah. So I think I think it's a good thing, and it's more about just than than just providing a, an independent majority. It's keeping the vision progressive. Yeah, Ryan, your thoughts on on Fergus? Coca Cola MSP of the Year, um, <laughs> by Hollywood Magazine. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, my views on Fergus Ewan is um it's very similar to Val's Tarn and Tory. Um I'm not I'm not very aligned with Fergus Ewing when it comes to politics. Um I think what he is trying to do is undermine Hamza Youssef as uh, the leader of the SNP. Mm. Um would would we say he's doing a good job? But potentially, you know, uh, voting against uh, a Scottish Greens minister who's in government uh, and a no confidence vote by the Tories. If that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. But mm. uh, me personally, I think that there should have been action there and then. Um, with with that particular, I mean, I, I'm I'm always critical of of party politics and how parties trying to align MSPs to vote in certain ways, right? Because we're always like, oh, we want our we want our MSPs to vote with their heart and vote for you know what they what they're passionate about, and then we're like, no, we shouldn't vote against the government. You <laughs> the whip should be removed. Um, so you know, party politics is is always a bit um a bit of an odd one um but you need to have some form of consistency and me personally i think that you know of all the charge sheet in front of fergus Hewn that you know voting against a, a minister who is technically in government even though they're in a different party is, is a problem um i mean there is others i'm going to try and avoid naming too many names but i can certainly mention this one and uh, michelle thompson uh, and fergus Hewn uh when they were talking about the um issue to do with um Basically, issues around landlords in general, mm. they're very um, not as as uh, progressive as I would like them to be. Um, might be because Michelle Thompson has a 
portfolio properties maybe mm-hmm. um but you are involved in a business that has a, a, a portfolio so you know that's just one example i mean voting against the the in the short term um the short term uh you know that that act with the airbnbs and things like that i mean that wasn't a surprise so really i mean what removing the whip for a week what's that going to do probably embolden them further to cause more disruption um you know whatever so that's that's all i've really got to say about fergus ewan uh, i did find it funny that he won that award at the, the hollywood magazine <laughs> though because i was like Okay. Um, I thought the other two nominations. I mean, you had Alison Johnson, who's the presiding officer, and Anna Sawar. I was like, hmm. I don't know. There's, there's other people maybe that I would uh, wanted wanted to have seen in the in the shortlist, but you know, never mind. Um, and where were we going with the next point? Sorry, the Butte House Agreement. Um, yeah. yeah. At this one, I always end up um bickering with people about this one because I didn't support the Butte House Agreement <laughs> as a Scottish Green member I voted against it um, and the reason for that is and it's not for the same reasons as people like Ash Reagan, Kate Forbes and whatever I think the Scottish Greens could have yielded more power um, by holding uh, a minority SNP government to account to get more um, policies across the board um, do I think it's working? Well, it's not not working um, you know, it's operating. Um, I, I think I mean there is certain policies that you know perhaps there's more money for this area or that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the things that we've seen in the Butte House Agreement we've seen being blocked. Um, so GRA, yeah. uh, which was was right up there. DRS mm-hmm. is another thing that they've been working collaboratively with the Scottish government on. So, and I know there's more to come. Um, I'll be really interested to see where tenants' rights go. Um, that was one of the big sort of jewels of the of, of the Butte House Agreement, which I f- absolutely support. I don't think we needed to have two green ministers and a, a sort of agreement of, of one operating government to achieve that. Um, but here we are. So I, I will watch with much enthusiasm and support, you know, these types of policy areas. Um, but no, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the Butte House Agreement. I do think the Scottish Greens could be a little bit more militant and uh, and hold a government to account. I think we've seen some of that in the 2016 Parliament uh, with the budget, although the budgets were not as radical as I would like them to be. Uh, the Scottish government could say we're not going to vote it through until we get this. And I think that that, and I actually think it was shrewd move by Nicola Sturgeon to get the Greens involved in government to perhaps neutralise that um, opposition in some way. Um, so yeah, that's where I am with the Butte House Agreement. But I'm not like, I don't want it ripped up tomorrow. Like, I'm not like, I hate this, stop it. Um, I just want to see more um, progressive and and uh, radical uh, policies come to the fore, which I'm not quite seeing yet. But we'll see how the, the next budget goes uh, with Hamza Yusuf. Uh, well, I would, uh, in general, uh, very much so agree with you there, Brian. I'm also a Scottish Green Party member, and I also voted against the Butte House Agreement. Uh, and although there's lots of good things that come out of it, the, can, my two main points is when there was discussion about it, a big online meeting, uh, one of our local councillors argued very much against it because they thought that, that would it would stifle them a bit. And I think it's done that. And I think it's stifled our, our MSPs as well, because it was supposed to be that even though you have Lorna Slater and Patrick Harvey as part of the government, the other MSPs could still say what they liked. And um, certainly, as I said, I'm a teacher. 
uh, I'm in the Union EIS and I went across to Edinburgh last Thursday. Uh, there was a rally at, in front of the Scottish Parliament for uh, FE colleges. And we had uh, Willie Rennie speaking from the Lib Dems. We had, oh, crikey, what's her name? Pam. Pam, what's her name? Duncan Glancy. That's her, uh, from Labour. And both of them, but, but I was, to be honest, I was really surprised at Willie Rennie. I've seen him on the telly in Parliament and going, oh, all right. But see him speaking there, I was going, oh, well, he's actually a good speaker. But um, the Greens education spokesperson, uh, Ross Gear, came out for a photo opportunity with an FE college, but then disappeared back inside. And he didn't come up and speak about it at all. But the, the really rubbish deal that FE colleges have been dealt with uh, at the moment. And I found that very disappointing. And there's been other times as well where I felt uh, Green MSPs, uh, apart from uh, Lorna and Patrick, should be able to say something. And sh would I would expect them to say something, but they haven't. And I find yeah. that disappointing. I think I think they are constrained um quite heavily um by the the Butte House Agreement. Um, I am no longer a member of the Scottish Green Party. I uh, I decided not to renew. Um, I I don't feel compelled to be a member of the the Scottish Green Party at the moment at all. Um, and and you know that's just another example that 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 you've given me uh, there. I think that I mean there's people in the Scottish Green Party that I think are fantastic. Hashtag Maggie Chapman. Um, oh yes, we, are, yeah. <laughs> we love, Maggie, we love Maggie. Maggie. Um, but you know, I think that I mean, I think we've kind of got into a bit of a rabbit hole here, and we're, we're now bitching about the Butte House <laughs> Agreement. But um, yeah, I would just like things to be more progressive. So if the Scottish yeah. Greens can make that happen in the Butte House Agreement, great. If they can't, then mm. let's not do that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I'm, I'm also a member of the Green Party and I did vote for it. But I have to say I'm not an active member. I, I'm just, I, I just felt politically homeless. I, I'm just not a party political person. I felt politically homeless after Common Wheel. A lot of them disappeared down a rabbit hole, um, apart from Ungag, of course. But um, yeah, so kind of taking a more a, a bird's eye view of it. It, it just it interests me that, for example, uh, I mean, we know that the Butte House Agreement does contain a commitment to a second indirect, but it's clear that unionists do also vote for the Greens, and they're not daft people. They're people that they know that, you know, they're kind of adding to a, <laughs> a majority for a, uh, towards uh, sort of yesers, but um, it, it's that it's on policies they like the policies it's so it's a bit of a home it's a draw it's it's a bit of a conduit for more progressive um soft nose if you like as well so it's in mm. that respect i, I think i think mm. it's good yeah and i think it's good when you see people that 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 you know don't support scottish independence voting for, for people at the greens they might even vote for the snp because they want to keep yeah. the tories out or or mm. whatever and this is why in my opinion you can't really use elections as a de facto referendum okay. <laughs> um, because i would not i mean where i live i live in falkirk um i would probably be more aligned to vote for the Green Party member if they were a radical uh, one. However, uh, the second challenger in this particular area might be the Tories. So, uh, you know, that's going to come down to who I vote for because they first passed the post, right? But then you mm. can't then take more than that from, from you know, a, a voting system a little bit like that. So it's, um, yeah, we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, it was always going to benefit the SNP more than the Greens and men. And well, in some ways, well, the polling, the polling, the polling with the Greens is is actually is going slightly up. I I don't think mm -hmm. they're maybe as as uh, polling as high as maybe they expected to be. Yeah. Um, but it, they are due to you know all polls are saying they're either going to get the same or a couple more MSPs. So I mean, it's not like it's had a negative impact on them. No. The SNPs dropped. Um, well. Depending on what poll you look at, I think. Mm -hmm. I think until we know when the next election is going to be, it's just mm -hmm. it's, you know it's basically just how do I feel today. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see um when it comes to the next Holyrood election how the Butte House Agreement has impacted on both parties. I think it will be quite interesting. Yeah, as I say, I mean, I think it was about nine. I think I'm right in saying it was about ninety five percent of SNP voted, which might be different now, but. I mean, there's two out of three of us, you know, that, that didn't vote for it. So quite a few more Greens did not vote for it. So, yeah, 10. Yeah. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it will be. I think I was in the 11%. It was about 11% of was party it? members, yeah, which is mm -hmm. which is not a lot. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. we're just the radical fringe. That's what it is. <laughs> You're rebels. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, um, picking up on what you're saying about Falkirk, Brian, our last item is about Helix Park at Falkirk. It's 10th anniversary. It is uh, home to the Kelpies. And uh, it's been praised for bringing multi-million pound tourism uh, boost to the area. And last year, there was 850,000 uh, people visited the park. It's got 30 kilometres of paths connecting 17 communities. And uh, they say that while the Kelpies may be the eye-catching centrepiece, biodiversity and nature are at its heart. And going from a, a, a report earlier this year, maybe just last month, but um, may also contribute to the rise in domestic tourism. Right. Um, and the quote from that says, Tourism Day visits in Scotland by uh, Great Britain Day Travellers uh, climbed to 12% in the first three months of the year, generating £1 billion of spending in the Scottish economy. So um, you said you had a good knowledge of Felix Park, uh, Brian. Yeah. What, what are your I, opinions? I'm like a 10, 15-minute walk from Helix Park, right? Um, which which I love the way it's framed in the, the, the news article of a, a lesser-known, not well-used area of Falkirk. It's, it's basically, it was quite an industrial area uh, where they decided to to put this park, and there was a lot of sort of scrubland that has been utilised. It's absolutely brilliant for the, the biodiversity aspect, right? I will absolutely take that on board. The walks are lovely, and, you know, there's a lot of sort of um, wood walking where it's loads of, um, like, water ways and a lot of greenery if you go down there you know early in the morning you'll see loads of deers running around all that kind of stuff it is it's absolutely beautiful right and that that's the positive aspect of it i would like to know <laughs> where all this money is going where all these people are spending <laughs> in falkirk because if you venture out of helix park <laughs> um it's not in a very good way um but i, w I will say i i am a falkirk bear and i was born here um in a council estate in Hull Glen, I grew up there, and I, I lived away for about you know ten years, and, and I and I came back. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'm a permanent resident of of Falkirk. I love it here. Um, we've got loads and loads of great places to visit. There's not just Helix Park. There's Calendar Park. There's you know the the, the Falkirk Wheel, all that kind of stuff. I'm also very mindful that. As it's getting darker, I don't have a light on. It looks like I'm in witness protection because you can't really <laughs> see me. But um, but yeah, there's loads of great things of Falkirk. However. 
the economics of Falkirk and the Falkirk Town Centre is abysmal. It is really, really bad, and it's in a very, very bad way. Um, I mean, Falkirk High Street, I would say, is possibly one of the worst in Scotland in terms of vacant shops. Okay, we'll maybe compare it with Kirkcaldy. All right, I don't know if you've been to Kirkcaldy recently. Um, it looks very, very similar to that in terms of empty shops and uh, and things like that. So when we get these sort of news reports saying it's great for tourism, mate, X amount comes into the economy, blah blah blah. I don't think you people who live in Hoglen or live in Langley's or live in these other areas in Falkirk feel that, see it, and benefit from it. So perhaps it's the economic model that's incorrect or, or wrong, which I'm sure we can we could pretty much all agree with. Um, but Helix Park, yes, it is beautiful. The 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 uh, kelpies are amazing. Uh, you know, it's it's in a basin near the canal. It's beautiful. The walkways are fantastic. Falkirk is generally quite good for for walking around. Um, mm. it's quite easy to get around by 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 food by bike um it's, it is interesting i know that there's going to be some upgrades to the park they're going to be putting in proper walkways over the the road because basically surrounding helix park is a roads and a motorway um <laughs> not very nice um uh. but they are um you know looking about it making it a little bit more accessible um which is great but yeah please do come and visit helix park because it is great but please come and visit calendar park because it's even nicer um so right. there you go um and you know the wheel and there's loads of green spaces in fall cricket it's fantastic um but I would just question the economic model and the figures that were being banded around because I don't think people are necessarily feeling it um, in Falkirk. Um, and that could be local, national governments responsible for that. Well, that's interesting. And I knew you did have a different view and it's, it's a shame. I don't have much to add to that. I can only speak as a tourist. I think it's wonderful. I mean, the whole area, I wasn't sure what the helix was. All I know is that I've got someone staying from down south or whatever, well, we'll take them to that wonderful piece of engineering that is the Falkirk Wheel. Have a nice cup of coffee, a uh, wee bit of shortbread tin shopping, and then off walk along normal paths to through normal communities, pick a few brambles, and then wow, there are the the um, kelpies start to rear their beautiful, wonderful heads. And just that whole view of the whole area as you walk into it is just really quite magical. I think it's wonderful. Um, and, uh, you know, so you say, well, it's not, it was an industrial area. Um, and I'm from the Garnet Valley. And I know that tourism is no substitute for industry. I know about that. But this is something quite different quite special the whole symbolism around the kelpies and everything so so I, I think it's absolutely beautiful and i think it's criminal it's a real shame if the the, the model the economic model is wrong and people are not benefiting. it doesn't surprise me what you're saying but, mm. but also like the whole you know you go off the beaten track a wee bit and you've got the whole historical remnants of antonine's wall and everything as well it's just a great place to to visit yeah so it's a damn shame that people are not benefiting at all from that because it was certainly very, very busy, extremely busy. It's really well, really well utilised, I think, by, yeah. by families. Um, it's There's a great big play park and stuff at Helix Park as well. So there's like the ponds, the, something's got boats on there and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's a great place to visit. Mm -hmm. um, I just wish that Falkirk itself would feel more 
feel more of it immediately. And but that goes for all tourist centres. I mean, I lived in Dundee for three for three years. The waterfront, all that investment. Um, you go two or three streets back and in the east end of Dundee, and 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 it's almost like it doesn't exist. Um, and that is is a real shame. So I think you know it's not unique to Falkirk, uh, unfortunately. Um, with that, but. You know, please do come and visit Falkirk. It's great. Also visit Dundee. Dundee's a great place to go and visit. I'd love to. I really haven't. But, you know, it makes me think, the whole thing, I've got this thing about cruise ships lately, uh, and it makes me think about cruise ships, you know, the whole, because everything's contained around this one area and there might be a few kind of overpriced shops or whatever that benefit, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's, it all goes away. The tourists take their money away with them, so it's not, it's not spreading out, but. But yeah, that's a damn shame because it's much, much better than a, a cruise <laughs> in a day in Falkirk. Right. Well, I think that uh, rounds us up this evening. I have uh, been to, to to see the Kelpies once, and yes, they are uh, magnificent. And the next time I go, I shall look into the, the other things around it and uh, mm. Calder Park as well. Yeah. 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 So uh, thank you both very much for your contributions this evening. Thank you. Uh, and uh, good night. Good night. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. You can find all our podcasts at leftungagged.org, as well as written articles. And you can sign up for our few newsletter. Catch the Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Ern. And if you have anything you want us to talk about, tweet us at underscore ungagged, hashtag Holyrood Ungagged or email us at ungaggedleft at gmail.com putting Holyrood Ungagged in the subject line. If you've enjoyed this podcast please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Have fun, be good and be lucky. Tell me